We all know that living in a city means appropriating it, making it your home. Cities bear the potential of knowledge exchange. Cities bear the potential by chance encounter to learn something new and by learning to grow yourself as an individual. But there's other gatherings that are being regulated out, basically, and there's other people that maybe don't have nice costumes and, and paint to, to, to make a beautiful uh, construction over there that are just kind of being worked against. What if we take this to a, di a diversity of places? Every city around the world, every rural village around the world can come together and collectively define how they want to imagine the future of their own public space. We started 2015 by looking at topics connected with creative commons and beyond that, just the idea of protecting, preserving, and promoting things, places, ideas. Some have been familiar topics connected with software and hardware, but others have gone a little bit further. And licensing just means uh, to grant rights to people. This is licensing. You grant a right, you say, I have this intellectual property and I grant you the right to do X, Y, Z. So what copyright usually does, copyright is a way to restrict people from doing stuff. Um, and then um, you, you monetize your right by allowing certain people to do something for payment. And what GNU did was to take the same mechanic and turn it around and say, well, we allow this, the users X, Y, Z for everybody. So they used copyright law to keep stuff free instead of keeping it protected or keeping it um, keeping people from doing stuff. They, they used the copyright rules to allow um, certain uses and to make them this rights grant sustainable. So over the year here at the podcast, we've moved beyond the software and hardware conversation, even though it always comes back, into things like clothes and the idea of open access in other everyday areas of our lives. We don't have, you know, 3D printers for, for underwear yet. Um, so I thought maybe I can show kind of elements of digital um, fabrication um, for something like underwear. Um, also because it's a very relatively simple piece of clothing. Um, and uh, so I worked with a local co-sewing space in Neukölln called Nadelwald, and there's a um, very talented tailor there called Svante Event, and she basically showed me how patterns worked, um, explained a little bit about um, uh, how to how to sew, well, taught me how to sew, um, and everything like that, and then uh, with some help from um, a couple of software developer friends and so, uh, a friend who taught me some algebra, I basically created a, um, a little parametric design of um, some boxer shorts. So you basically type in your waist measurement and it will adjust to, uh, to fit your, your size. Eventually, we made our way to open education, opening up politics, and even initiatives like open medicine. So when you, when you want to look for medical information, um, you need to do that in a space or um, using, using a data model that actually understands medical information to, to make it more accessible. You, you, want, you want statistics. Getting the data model right, I think, is very crucial to this whole endeavor. I just read about how is a medical diagnosis done. 
I think I had a pretty good idea about it from the beginning because of me being an example case of it. And because I had friends who who also have like to struggle with medical conditions that are chronic. How could we use that data then eventually if we have those uh, this this model and if we get data from the users, what can we do with it? How can we match them? Today on the program, we're refocusing on the idea of place and how places can be used specifically as spaces for playing, having fun, enjoying, and within a legal framework that'll preserve the right to do that. In a world, especially in an urban world, where so many of our activities are subject to rules, penalties, if you violate the rules, there's a problem, you're stopped, you're removed. There's a group of people in the world, in Berlin and beyond, who are exploring and promoting the concept of playing and introducing play into our everyday lives. Why play and how to play in the major cities of this world? We'll get into that as well, with help from one of the pioneers of the Playful Commons concept, Sebastian Quack. That's coming up today on the program from Wikimedia Deutschland. I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, and this is Source Code Berlin. Our story begins today with a talk by Gilly Karjewski and Sebastian Quack at the Republika Conference in Berlin earlier this year. The talk was entitled Finding Europe, and the topic, public spaces, ways of using them, rules about using them, and how we as individuals fit into this bigger puzzle of regulations and expression. Lying on the ground on Hermannplatz, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think there's actually more. Very yeses. mixed audience here. Yeah, well, it's not allowed. I'll get to why later. And passive recreation on Hermannplatz. What is passive recreation? I don't know. Still don't know. Uh, nobody knows. It's also not allowed. And, and the reason is actually this, and this is a part of the Berliner Straßengesetz, the Berlin Street Law, which specifies what uh, all the public streets in Berlin are to be used for. And it defines a concept that's really important for a lot of cities around the world, which is common use. And uh, common use is defined for Hermannplatz and for all the streets as Verkehr, getting from A to B. And everything that goes further than that needs a special permit. Yeah, this is actually not unique for Berlin. Many big cities around the world are all about flow and circulation. This is what uh, Dr. Nicholas Blomley, who is a super important uh, legal geographer from Canada, he calls this pedestrianism. The sidewalk is all about flow and circulation. You can't stop the machine of the city. You can't stop the circulation of labor or the flow of capital. You have to go from A to B. You cannot stop and have a conversation. You definitely can't get together. You definitely can't put an object on the ground in the, in the city and on the sidewalk. It's all about moving from A to B, not just people moving from A to B, but also the idea of the entire city as a machine on a constant flux, on a constant flow. Many of us have seen the videos over the years, the fun flash mob or the unforgettable street performances that captures the imagination of the people watching it both in person and at home. These things mess with the otherwise predictable pace of daily life, and we love to share them, but we rarely get to be a chance uh, to be part of them. Maybe some of you have. But beyond that, uh, what do we know about what is allowed and not allowed? 
Take security, just one issue of many for a city. You can imagine there have been new regulations about what is okay and what is not okay in public spaces over the last few years. But how far have these rules gone? And what does that mean for doing projects with play in public and for all those future spontaneous moments? And yes, the videos of those moments that we so love to share. Sebastian Quack has been fascinated by this issue for many years, and with the Playful Commons project, he and his colleagues have been daring to play and successfully pulling audiences and institutional partners into the fun. My name is Sebastian Quack. Uh, I'm an artist and curator, and, um, but I mostly think about games and do game design. Uh, in the cultural field. So I work in several different constellations. I think the longest and I guess most successful up to now is Invisible Playground. Um, that's a collective with six uh, people in total. And we, we design games for spaces. So we bring play into places, uh, usually in urban space, where usually people don't play, like, I don't know, in transit or in weird alleyways or... Uh, public squares, uh, private spaces. Um, and then recently I've also uh, started um, a project called Playful Commons, which is uh, kind of motivated from um, running a lot of events in public space and the frustrations of having to get permission for a lot of things that I think should be uh, standard in the, in the types of cities that we live in now. And this whole uh, world of play, I guess, um, has been fascinating for me for a long time. So, I mean, I was studying in Berlin cultural studies and just um, was thinking a lot about play as, as like a, a thing that happens in culture and that takes on a lot of forms, you know, from sports to video games to strange rituals, uh, things like that. Um, at the same time, I was always kind of interested in art and music and was doing a lot of theater. And, you know, it always kind of bugged me that there isn't more play for for audiences in theater. Um, and I think the, th the third element maybe was um, getting in touch with the scene in New York around um, Come Out and Play Festival in the mid-2000s. Um, I also uh, worked for a company called Area Code, uh, which was one of the companies that was kind of pioneering in this um, location-based gaming area that was just coming up, where, you know, you before the iPhone, you'd, you try and use some obscure positioning techniques to locate players and then do games that react to that. So I think play and games and space was always, I think my, like my stuff always kind of revolved around that. So when you work in this uh, area of play, then you, like my feeling is you constantly have to defend yourself against being appropriated by other fields because there isn't uh, this like really strong traditional field, like let's say um, movies, right? Movies has has already fought out this battle and you don't have to, you know, kind of say, well, watching movies is good for you or something like that all the time. <laughs> so it's quite interesting that, so like I was always really interested in um, kind of exploring play and game design as a cultural form in itself or as an art form where you don't have to say, you know, this is good for other reasons, but it, uh, you know, could be just an interesting thing to to explore as a society because we don't really know um, what it what it could be useful for. Um, maybe it's just a you know a, a crazy experience that you can interpret later, 
uh, of course, like when you when you you know need to kind of apply for funding or when you organize projects, of course, there's these discourses of uh, kind of uh, you know talking about like does this project have a positive effect, for example, on someone, um, or does this boost some sort of local economy, for example, or does this uh, you know improve the value of a of a neighborhood if we run this festival there, for example, like. But these are all um, to me like external debates that uh you know kind of uh come on to play from the outside and i'm really interested in exploring it from the inside um and in also enabling people to to discover this on their own and not to approach it as like you know i need to play in order to uh be more calm <laughs> or to to you know improve my i like my iq or something like that because i think like if you if you approach play from that like kind of uh, instrumental uh, perspective, then you're you're kind of losing out on the main thing, you know, which is like this intrinsic pleasure of uh, also losing yourself a bit and and opening up to something new inside of it. This is the way that the regulation sees the city. This is the way civil engineers who make the regulation see the city. This is the way they want us to use the city. But the actual way we want to use the city and the actual way we are using streets today is actually more like this. And not just us want to see cities look like this more, but city branding often kind of uses images of parkour, of graffiti, of kind of like the deregulated use of the sidewalk. They often promote it in their city brands as well. Another kind of illegal activity that is uh, taking over the world, this is No Pants Day, started by Improv Everywhere. It's a playful activity. This is the kind of activity that makes you pause in your place. This is the kind of activity that while you're flowing, circulating from A to B in the city, you pause for one second. That second is when you start to think, you start to question, you start to become an active citizen in a space, you start to look around, you start to think about new possibilities for that space. This moment is super important. This moment is why this playfulness is important for our cities and why we all recognize it across the board, us and regulators alike. We did a, a quite extensive um, audio-based project in Japan a few years back with Invisible Playground called Museum of Minor Incidents. Um, and and we, we created this kind of uh, invisible museum for a festival there with a lot of exhibits that were all audio-based games. Um, and they all kind of were developed by talking to a lot of people in that neighborhood. Welcome to the Museum of Minor Incidents, Exhibit 50. Train of Thoughts. Please follow the instructions. You have individual tracks 
and the successful realization of this exhibit depends on the correct actions and good timing of every single one of you. So listen carefully. Good luck and have a nice experience. You are Yamato, 68 years old. You have been working as a security patrol for the Central Japan Railway Company all your life. Now you are retired, but from time to time you meet with your former colleagues for a nostalgic ride in the train and a round of a little game you always used to play while being on duty. Please scratch your head now for at least five seconds. Something is itching. Look at your colleagues. One is smiling at you and clapping you on your shoulder. This is your best friend, Bishamon. The two of you were always together on patrol. You spent almost half of your life together. Please scratch your head. So we wanted to do one game with um, using photographs because like, we were very naive and we thought you know, Japanese people like to take photographs. <laughs> so, so, and like, like, you can't imagine how wrong we were because like, the thing like, I didn't understand before was that taking a photograph um, in Japan is basically an, like a handshake or an act of um, forming a group or saying that you're, you know, you're in something together. Right. Like, but like taking photographs of public spaces or of strangers is something that you would never do. And players just like kind of refused <laughs> to, you know, in the test. And like this kind of um, difference, like that there's actually, you know, that it makes a big difference. Like if you're photographing inside the group or if you're photographing a stranger, like this is like a learning effect. That's so interesting um, that you only get by trying out things, right. Or by, uh, you know, just kind of, uh, experimenting with uh you know with with uh, things like games where then you know players can say oh shit no i'm not this isn't fun at all <laughs> like, i'm not i'm not gonna play this are you ready for the last round use all your mind power for the final challenge now step into the next coach and wait there if there is no connection to it or you are standing at the end of the train just stay where you are you will walk back later the way you came to the other end of this coach. Now close your eyes again, concentrate, and you will hear the thoughts of another passenger on this train. Wow, that was a crazy party last weekend. Haven't danced like that for a while, but my back still hurts. Somebody must have scratched me with their fingernails. Now open your eyes again. Whose mind was it that you were just having in your head? Now walk through the coach all together to the other end. Look into the passengers' faces and decide for one person. When we run um, projects in public space with Invisible Playground, we usually have a local partner, um, which is mostly something like a cultural institution or, a, you know, like a museum or a festival or, or some organization that... Um, you know, that has specific interests that invites us or that, that we get to know beforehand. And they help us a lot in um, figuring out, for example, if, you know, it makes sense to ask the authorities for permission or not. And it's really like, this is all tactics, basically. And this is something that's pretty consistent all over the world, that um, like 
the people that are doing interesting things in urban space are usually looking at this from a tactical standpoint. So they're thinking, okay, maybe we ask for permission for part of it or we rephrase it so that it seems really safe or we, um, we pretend that it's somewhere else and then it was spontaneous that the game moved into a different direction. Right? So there's like all these tricks <laughs> in, in, running, in running events or, you know, like, I don't know, we just kind of keep it secret, for example, or we put a sign on the door that says members only or whatever. There's all these, like, it's a whole bag of tricks, right? Everyone has these tricks. Um, because if you would actually um, include everyone and, and get like a, a really like a legally, uh, you know, binding permission from the municipality, for example, or also from public owners, maybe of, of spaces that you use that are private, it just takes much too long. It just never works. It's like that. It's just completely impractical. That's that's the whole motivation, also for playful commons. That there has to be a better way because a lot of our work is just kind of kind of refining these tactics and uh, sort of making it work. And we have a lot of experience in that now. But it's like it seems like a completely non-sustainable thing that you, you, you keep on doing these tricks. And a lot of people are like also artists in this scene. Um, they're also, I mean, it's great stories, right? It's, they're really proud of it in a way that they're like, uh, we managed to pull off this project. And, and it's like, okay, great. But you know, is this really the kind of dynamic that we want our cities to have like a constant kind of cat and mouse game or a constant like, uh, you know, drive to, just kind of ignore the you know the problems of of the operating system basically and just keep hacking the city. I mean, there's all, there's also this whole discourse right of hacking the city, and and there's like yeah okay so it's interesting to to do it. So I mean we did a lot of things that you could consider as that like we sort of use escalators a lot for example in a, in a, like a really early phase with Invisible Playground where you know escalators sometimes stop and they have this funny rhythm and we kind of. Uh, worked a lot with these rhythms to make games or traffic light systems, you know, which have like buttons. So you can you can build games that that use these systems, and, and that's a form of hacking that I think it's really fun because you learn a lot. Um, at the same time, I'm just not sure if it's like a good thing to keep on just hacking also the kind of political systems. Maybe we can actually change them. So maybe we can uh, you know work with the municipalities because they should be working for us, right? So. Um, that's what we what we kind of try to do with with playful comments now, which is a really new initiative we just started this summer, um, which kind of moves out of the art world and more into the into the activist or political. If you look at the regulations, that, that they kind of come from a history of things that you don't want to happen again. <laughs> it's really funny sometimes, right? So, uh, you know, if you look at, for example, rules for public spaces and public transport or something, but it's just this really long list. For example, in Berlin, if you look at the like the what they write on their website for the S-Bahn for these spaces. It's just like a, a long list of random stuff that like happened at some point and that they don't want to see again. <laughs> you know, like really weird stuff like lying on the ground, good look, looking in garbage, which is of course part of this whole uh, war on homelessness also going on. But uh, also, I don't know, just like, uh, God, let me think of what the what the most weird thing was. I mean, a lot of times, for example, like playing ball or something. So, so there's like sometimes then it gets really concrete. So like football is not allowed like as, a, as, a, as an explicit game, you know, but what about base, baseball or something? I don't know. 
Yeah, or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not really, because you don't know, right? <laughs> that's that's the whole that's the whole question. Like, if it's not mentioned, like, it's I don't know. <laughs> How can you be sure? Just to be clear here for everyone listening out there, and I think Sebastian has gotten it really uh, clearly here. But just in case, we know there's value when it comes to the workarounds, the bending or breaking of rules to create something. As many famous artists, comedy groups, some of which have already been mentioned in today's program, they do that. There's a huge and wonderful tradition there. But playful comments, which we're talking about today, it's about the value of play where it doesn't have to involve breaking the rules in order to be cool and fun where this kind of play can be recognized formally as simply a human activity, a, a human right perhaps, and therefore protected legally. And as we return here to the idea of the commons, or even the open license, I start to wonder about the people who design so much of public life. The architects, the city planners, seems like they would have a huge hand in deciding what playing and playfulness is going to be possible in our world, in our daily lives. Does this key group of people pay attention to the concept of playful commons or spaces for play? I think for architects and designers in general, I mean, I, I work a lot with... Uh with architects now also and, and urban planners. I think it's it's quite tricky for them to um, uh, get in touch with this mode, which is much more common in game design and in participation design, where you actually um, think of the user as someone that's like highly creative and constantly testing the limits of what you do. Right, so in game design, like you do a lot of play testings, and then you like you see, oh my god, what are they doing with my game? <laughs> right, and you you, have, you learn that you have no idea what people will do, and um, you kind of plan for that. Like you, you 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 know you sort of leave a lot of space, and you're you're also interested in these sort of ways that people appropriate what what you made. And this is, I think, a bit. Um, yeah, like there's there's this cliche, right, of the like the modernist architect that builds this really slick building, and then people move in and put on these horrible curtains <laughs> and kind of style it in a way. The architect's like, "Oh my god, this is not what I wanted." <laughs> right? I mean, this is like this is really a cliche. I mean, it's not that bad these days, but still, there's there's like some uh, part of this. I, I have a feeling is still lingering around, like where you kind of. No, you really want people to do what you planned. <laughs> so, so um, yeah. So, so these processes, like really um, designing them in a way that they're they're open, is yeah. I, th I think it's still a new thing. I think there's still a lot of experimentation to be done. And I think what's also hindering this is still this kind of what I mentioned earlier is this spirit of um that it's kind of cool also to be subversive and ha hacker right it's also like it's, there's, it's also a problem from the side of the people that are like doing the cultural activities right because they don't demand things to be uh kind of standardized and allowed and okay right <laughs> it's, it's also really fun to to you know appropriate and take over things that weren't designed for that so there's this it's kind of tricky to navigate because on the one hand we want more freedom right and we kind of you know we want spaces where creativity is the norm or creative use is somehow not the weird exception but it's you know like something that you just do as part of your 
life and you're the expression of you know what you want to do in your life and at the other and on the other side like of course it's it's cool if you you know if you have an opponent <laughs> you know i mean i think like in terms of um planning and stuff i think it's there's like a really interesting discussion to be had about how to plan spaces to be prepared for you know customization for example or uh, to, to to like already in the planning designate areas that can be somehow manipulated or used for events or used for for play um more than it is already being done i mean obviously it's a it's very much inspired by the whole developments around uh, creative commons um, in the digital world um, and this whole world of digital open culture and i have a feeling that um a lot has happened in the in the digital world in terms of collaboration techniques and also these sort of uh, licensing models that um, we can reapply to, um, you know, the physical spaces that we use. Um, so, I mean, like, if we look back at the time before Creative Commons, it was really hard to give someone permission to use your work, right? It was, like, super tricky because no one really knew how it worked legally. <laughs> and just like is it like was it okay to just say you can use it or like how does it even work right and and suddenly with these tools um like creative commons licenses you know it things that used to be hard became really easy like standard stuff like okay allowing someone to remix allowing someone to sell disallowing commercial use for example um so looking at this we were thinking of hmm <laughs> you know isn't this a model that we could somehow apply to to physical spaces? Or um, it's a bit similar to the situation we have now, where there's like um, convincing the authorities and convincing owners of spaces to allow creative use of their space is really hard, right? So you have to look at every individual case. It goes on like completely case by case. Uh, uh, yeah, it goes case by case, so you have to describe exactly what you're going to do. It's very hard to experiment if you have to know in advance what you're going to do. And then they have to kind of read it, mostly, <laughs> and then say, hmm, this sounds okay. This sounds okay. <laughs> right? So the question is if we can't come up with kind of standardized permissions um, where uh, you know municipalities but also owners of private spaces can kind of say, well, this type of activity is actually going to be okay, you know? Um, which is very similar to Creative Commons, where you, you say, well, you know, there's a standard uh, license for attribution, for example. Like, you can do whatever you want, but, you know, we've defined what attribution is. So maybe there's similar things in, uh, in physical space uh, that we can do, you know, which would be things like, well, um, non-commercial, for example. You know, you, that's often an important thing. Or... When do things become dangerous or, I don't know, group sizes, uh, noise levels, uh, you know, using open fire. So, I mean, the thing is, like, when you go into physical space, it gets also very, very complicated because there's just so many more things <laughs> you can do with, a, you know, in the real world than you can do in, in the digital world. So uh, what we're doing right now is we're just you know, running workshops and talking to uh, partners and trying to figure out a system for this and also, you know, inviting people to join in this project uh, and in this process of, you know, figuring out what are potential license modules, what are things that, you know, have a chance to be allowed. Um, and I can give you an example. Um, so in Amsterdam, uh, there was like a two-year process to um, 
give a sort of standardized permission for a street theater. Um, so there's there's now uh, a kind of you don't have to get get a permit now in Amsterdam for for street theater if you um, you know keep it under a certain length and then move around from space to space for example uh, and yeah so they tested this and you know there was like a debate about it and and now you can do it uh, so this is like a hopeful example for me right and can we expand this sort of thinking of kind of getting started with a list of things. Um, that you know are okay, <laughs> and that kind of people can also discuss it, right? That's the point. That like you know the the let's say a community in a neighborhood can also you know have a, have a discussion about it, what they actually want to allow, because this will be different, um, determining on you know the size of the city, the people living in the neighborhood, all these like all these factors can go into that. In play, you introduce new functional definitions of the city, which are very hard for a regulators to understand. So, for example, if you do a game about monsters walking around in the Fußgängerzone uh, here, this is a person in a, in a costume, um, suddenly this kind of traffic thing, this uh, box in the back, becomes a really important thing to hide behind. You might have uh, never seen it before, suddenly it becomes a new function. And this sort of mode of appropriation, of uh, playful playfully taking over a space and defining it for a certain amount of time is something that, uh, that's really, really important in these kind of practices. And there's a lot more of this stuff, uh, of course, going, going on around the world. Why did Creative Commons take off? Why was it needed at all? Well, it's copying. The internet came along, suddenly everything could be copied really easily. Um, and suddenly there was a way to do this. I mean, we could sell you this image by Monique Marcus, Crazy Hair Lady, which is only uh, licensed under CC attribution. So she doesn't care if we sell it to you for $100 or if we make a comic out of it. But this only works because we're not selling the original. We're selling copies or we're, we're remixing copies into something completely new. Now, look at these spaces. How many of these are there, and how hard is it to copy this space? Now, I think when we play with spaces, we kind of copy them in our minds together, but we still have this very, very limited resource, which is actual physical space, that we as a world population are collectively struggling on how to organize. We actually want to implement this kind of thinking, this kind of process, in long-term, big-scale urban development projects, and change the legal landscape so that we find a way to include the idea of playful appropriation into the concept of common use. We think play should be the norm. You're listening to Source Code Berlin. I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, and we're talking with Sebastian Quack as he guides us through the ideas and goals that led to playful commons, as well as what it means and the kinds of projects it has led to. 
Earlier, I mentioned the fact that institutions from around the world have gotten involved with Sebastian and Playful Commons, which when you hear the list of who is interested and how they're interested, it's pretty impressive. And despite all the challenges, many of which we've talked about today, the legal, cultural uh, implications, people aren't just joining the games. Major institutions are seeing the value of playing in public, and they're putting their weight behind new initiatives. I mean, for example, I'm in Barcelona now with, uh, like a, with, with a Playful Commons project, and uh, I've been invited to join this year-long project about childhood in public space, which is run by this um, organization that works between Berlin and Barcelona. And they're sort of uh, following a group of children throughout the year and working with them to figure out like how they see the city or, you know, how they appropriate it or what, you know, what kind of needs children have. Um, and, you know, I usually don't work with children because I'm much more interested in adults and it's very dangerous to, you know, include children if you're working with play because the adults immediately stop uh, playing. But um, so here I kind of like this project because it, like it treats children also seriously as like a specific group. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I just did this workshop here where there was a, a space right across the school from, from these kids um, where, we, you know, I, we just kind of worked with them for them to define these uh, sort of playful commons licenses for this space. And there's like a series of activities that were very performative that led up to that, you know, where they would imagine themselves as a group of aliens that sort of land on this space and then do like a, you know, a mini live action role playing game where they try to find out what, you know, like in the most detail possible, how to avoid uh, offending anyone or, or like scare, scaring someone. So like aliens that are really, really timid and friendly. And it, it gets really funny because, of course, these kids are like torn between, you know, wanting to piss off and scare everyone <laughs> at the same time, really exploring, like exploring this space that like, the rules that are there already, like the implicit rules also, it's really interesting to, to see that. Um, yeah, so I mean, this was just like a, the last thing I did here in, in Barcelona. And then with Invisible Playground, we had a project that's maybe nice to, to talk about also. It was a, a kind of um, a mini golf or a go urban golf uh, project. Um, we did that in Mainz in summer. We did this together with a... Um, with a team from 72-Hour Urban Action, which is a, like a rapid architecture um, competition. And um, like for us, this is a, like this sort of mini golf thing is a very accessible way to explore what, what we've been calling gameful architecture, where it's uh, about like to think about architecture and physical structures as mm, something intrinsically to be played with. So, you know, by saying, okay, we're turning, like we're creating this mini golf uh, parkour in Mainz, is kind of to just kind of pretend that the city is like already intrinsically, a, you know, a playground or like what do we need to do in order to, you know, make it usable as a mini golf course. And one really nice um, uh, hole that we made there was a, there's this old horrible uh, fountain, like a very big concrete, almost brutalist kind of, post-war thing and it's it's not in use but it's really central um and it's really funny because fountains are already basically mini golf courses if you look at them right because they have like a they have these slopes and then there's there's this had like three different levels 
of the ball to go through <laughs> to the bottom where the water flowed, right? So, so you can um, kind of just reinterpret, uh, you know, like these disused monuments, for example, and, and make really cool uh, mini golf courses out of, out of them. And people were like, oh my God, I didn't know that, you know, you could play mini golf here. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so it was quite uh, nice. I mean, people in Mainz really liked it. Um, and it's funny because like then they, they go up to you and they ask, ah, so um, are you going to do this uh, all, like every week now or is it going to happen again next year? And we're always like, guys, you know, you can do this. <laughs> you can just go here and, and play it. But, you know, this sort of facilitation is like the thing that people need, right? Like they just need to like get the idea or have like um, a model to reinterpret their surroundings. Um, municipalities aren't these um, uniform bodies, right? They have like, like, it's a monster with many different heads. So um, we were invited by, a, you know, a regional cultural organization there that have an office in the municipality. And they wanted to do a nice like summer event as part of a series of, you know, cultural events in the summer. So these guys wanted it. And then this makes it much easier because then they talk to the municipalities and then they kind of agree to not go down the route of the permit, which is amazing if you think of it, yeah? So they're like, yeah, okay, you know, we talked to the authorities and they were like, yeah, you know, if it's going to look like that, we don't need to ask for permission. Which, is, you know, for us it was great because, like, okay, it's going to work. But what does this mean for a private individual, you know? Like, you need to somehow be, like, already in touch with a part of the municipality in order to avoid a permit, like how do you use this? <laughs> like, you know, it's it's so informal and uh, so difficult to to figure out even if you need to get a permission for this. Uh, it's really it's really really like a usability issue. It's like that that's what frustrates me the most. I mean, like as an artist, it's great. Then like you work with the municipalities and you build like personal connections and you kind of gain their trust. And this is like how it's done, but. I don't know. I don't think you can expect like a citizen to always have to become friends with the people running the city uh, in order to do what they want, right? And maybe it's a little bit more critical or something, and then it becomes much much harder, right? And can be shut down. Like also, like for us, I mean, we didn't have guarantee that they would shut it down. Like it's like okay, you know, it's as long as it's nice, <laughs> you know. Um, Right, so uh, so this is a big problem, that the usability of these uh, regulations is really, really bad. You also have to see the perspective of the municipalities. So they say, yours, like, your freedom is actually really high because, you know, you can apply for anything. And they basically have to make it work. Like, that's, like, that's also in the law. You know, in Berlin, you can, you can write it, like, you can ask for permission for a lot of things. And they actually have to try and make it work. So there's, you know, like on paper, like you're really, really free also. And, and they, their job, of course, they see their job as kind of um, facilitating and making sure that no one is hurt and that like the city is a safe and, uh, you know, kind of good environment for everybody to use and that you're not going to destroy someone else's use of the city by doing your crazy stuff, right? So like... That's also the other side that, that you have to see. That's, but still, at the same time, like, I just don't see this facilitation really working. Like, I think it's like a great idea you know, to have like, a public service that facilitates 
different projects maybe or that you know organizes you know that you don't have collision for example but um it just has to be much much easier and much much more usable um for this to really work it's like also a time where it's really interesting so you, you kind of were kind of you know bringing play into a lot of different areas um and I mean, of course, play is also bringing us into <laughs> these areas. So, like, it's it's also like a general cultural transformation that's that's of course taking place. Um, and yeah, I'm very, I, like I have no idea like like where this is going to go. I really like right now is, is is like a moment where almost every organization is thinking about how to um, improve the relationship, you know, with the people that they serve or that they are in touch with. Like, really everyone, if you think about it, from commercial entities to governments to neighborhood organizations are thinking about how to, you know, how to work on this relationship, um, you know, with people around them or with the spaces around them. Like, and they do it in really, like, good or bad or weird or funny ways. Like, it's really... And, and this is where play always uh, is part of. You know, because everyone is kind of realizing that uh, a relationship isn't like a, you know, like a, a command or something, <laughs> or it's not like a list of things that there's like one way to do it. Like if you want like authentic relationships or you want to value in a relationship, then there has to be a, like a space for playfulness in this relationship. Otherwise it's not, you know, there's, there's no way to appropriate it. There's no way to express yourself in the relationship. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what, makes this interesting, I think, that you can really, um, you know, take this approach and apply it to pretty much any kind of uh, organization or institution. Sebastian Quack is an artist, game designer, and curator based in Berlin. As you listen to this program, you may well be on your way to work, walking, biking, driving, sitting on the train, bus, boat. Chances are you'll see very little play in the next few minutes. Once you get to work, perhaps even less. But if there was more play, what untapped energy, creativity, and fun lies just beneath what is considered the normal cityscape? The good news is that organizations like Playful Commons and others who dare to try and organize something different or new are coming forward. They're successfully showing the joy of play, and yes, even perhaps the value, in ways that cities are excited about and making room for. And despite all the new rules and regulations that can seem insurmountable most of the time, there may actually be more play in our lives in the near future. And that is, at the very least, good news. And that does it for today's program. Source Code Berlin is a Wikimedia Deutschland podcast with audio today from the talk entitled Finding Europe, published by the Republika 2015 conference under a CCBYSA 3.0 license. We had music today by Lee Rosevere, Yeah Yeah, Six Umbrellas, and the Satellite Ensemble, all available under CC licenses at the Free Music Archive. To leave a comment or listen to other shows, go to our website, sourcecode.berlin, and you can find us on Facebook or Twitter at SRC Code Berlin. 
This podcast is published under a CCBYSA 4.0 license and edited by me. Until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Thanks for listening. We are.